passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Don't usually like to give any illustrations from the news. Because as soon as you give an illustration from the news, everybody all of a sudden thinks you're going to be political about it. And I'm going to give an illustration from the news this past week, but it's not political. So please try not to go there with what I'm going to say this morning. Um, this illustration actually happened on Monday before the week got really crazy. So it comes earlier. It was, uh, maybe some of you saw this, uh, Chris Cuomo from CNN was sort of mocking Marco Rubio for his Christian faith. Any of you see that? He said, he said this, I wrote it down. Um, Marco Rubio, he's Mr. Bible Boy. He has a Bible quote for every moment because Marco Rubio has been tweeting out Bible verses on his Twitter account. And that made the news. Mr. Bible Boy. But what a lot of people didn't cover was how Marco Rubio responded a little bit later. I'm going to read for you what he said on his tweet. The verses I tweet are usually the ones chosen by the Catholic Church for that day's maths, Mass. But the fact that Chris thinks the word that words written thousands of years ago are relevant to current events proves that the Bible isn't just a book. It is the very word of God. Amen. Wow. Well, what is the Bible? Is the Bible just an old, outdated book? Is the Bible the very words of God to us that we need? And if the Bible is God's word, how should we be treating it in our lives? How should we be spending time in it in our lives? How should we be absorbing it into our lives? Those are fair questions, if it is something that is always relevant and true. Let me just take a few minutes to show you a little bit what the Bible says about itself. James chapter 1, verse 25, I have on the top of your outlines. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The Bible promises that for those who actually read the Bible, and don't just read it, but actually obey it, they will be blessed in this life. Because God's word is the path to blessing. That's what the Bible promises. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. The Bible, God promises in the Bible that the Holy Spirit will take the words of this book and use it to create spiritual lives in people. They will go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive by encountering the words of this book. Folks, that doesn't happen when you read Time magazine. It doesn't happen to you after watching a Jason Bourne movie. It only happens from this book. The Bible also says this, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, 
but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This book doesn't just create spiritual lives in people, but it is used by God to sustain our spiritual life. It's essential for us to be able to know God and stay in a relationship with him. So I ask you, how could we ever content ourselves with just being in this book one day a week on Sunday? Would you content yourself with just one meal a week? How strong would you be if you ate once a week? Would you, maybe you could survive, but you certainly wouldn't thrive. If that's true for you physically, why wouldn't that also be true for you spiritually when man does not live by bread alone? but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I want to do something different. Usually what I do is I give the message, and then I give the application at the end of the message. But I'm going to begin at the beginning of the message and tell you what the takeaway is before we even start. So you can be very clear to think about that during the rest of the message, and when we come back to it, you'll know what I'm looking for. What I'm going to ask you to do uh, is to be able to take time regular time to get into this book because we need this book. Here we are at the beginning of January, and you know what most pastors do. It's the typical January challenge. Oh, come on, will you join me in reading through the Bible in a year? And that goes off really well for about two weeks. And then after that, real life takes over, or we read along till we get to the book of Leviticus, and then we just stop. And about 95% of the people who start never actually finish. So I'm not going to do that. What Pastor Jordan and I have decided, Jordan and I have done is we've decided to take and break the Bible into much smaller bite-sized pieces and ask you to make much smaller bite-sized commitment, commitments to join your church family in reading through certain books of the Bible this year. The challenge that we're going to make for you today is that you would join your church family in reading through the book of Proverbs. I'm only asking you to make a three-week commitment at this point. Because if you took two chapters a day of Proverbs and read it five days a week, you'd finish the book in only three weeks. By the way, that's not too much of your time. Reading two chapters of Proverbs, I read it, took me five minutes and 30 seconds. Every challenge that we will give you will be, I guarantee you, be less than 10 minutes of your time during the day. You have 1,440 minutes each day. We're only asking for 10 minutes of time in the Word of God today. And by the way, we're only asking right now for a three-week commitment. After that, we'll come back and we'll re-up and we'll say, guess what? The next book we're going to go read through together as a church family is the Gospel of Luke. And here's the Gospel of Luke, broken into five days a week in less than ten minutes of reading. Will you join your church family just for the Gospel of Luke will be next. Bite-sized chunks, little challenges to get this book into our lives. That's what we're going to be doing this year. I'm going to give you a chance to think about that, but... Um, I would like to devote the rest of this morning's message is not to answering the question primarily of what I want you to do, which is read through the Bible with us, but why I want you to do it. Why is Bible reading worth my time? How will Bible reading change my life? Why is reading the Bible worth at least 10 minutes of my day? 
and probably worth a lot more than that as well. To answer that question, I'm going to take us to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is about how God has revealed himself to us. The first part of the psalm talks about how God has revealed himself to us through creation. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. You can see God is handiwork through the trees, through the beauty, the intricacy, the scale of things. You can see God revealing himself that way. But as you get further into the psalm, it talks about the other way that God reveals himself is through his word. And the only way we can know God truly is by his word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 of Psalm 19, but our uh, focus of our study will be primarily on just verses 7 through 9. Because when you get to verses 7 through 9, you'll see that only the, while it's only three verses, it gives us six statements about the Bible. And each statement will contain two parts. What the Word of God is and what the Word of God does. It'll do that six times, and that'll be what our message will be on this morning. So I'm going to read uh, Psalm 19, 1 through 11. If you'd like to join me in reading and following along in your copy of God's Word, that's great. I'd like to ask you to stand out of reverence for the very Word of God that we're reading. And I'm just going to focus on the first 11 verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Then it moves from talking about God revealing himself in creation to God revealing himself in his word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. That ends the reading of the word. You can be seated. So let's go ahead and begin working through, in particular, verses 7 through 9, where you could see three verses with six statements about what the word of God is and what the word of God does in our life and why we want to take time to read it and study it. Let's begin. The law of the Lord is perfect, it says. It revives the soul. Let's begin by looking at this. What does it mean when it talks about the Bible as the law of the Lord? The way it talks about the word law here, maybe the way we could understand it, is it's the manual of the Lord. The, the Bible tells us the way life is supposed to work 
in the way life is supposed to run. And you need to read the manual on something if you want to be able to use something. Recently, I, I bought a snowblower. By the way, it's not a new snowblower. It's a new-to-me snowblower. And so it's a used one. So I, I started checking it out. And it's a good thing it has a manual with it because it has all these things called grease joints. And I would have never found all of them. And I think the last owner never knew about them because they certainly weren't greased. And had this thing called a gearbox. I didn't even know. You're supposed to change the oil in that thing. And I'm sure the previous owner had never changed the oil because it came out with all kinds of shavings in it. And I'm like, boy, it's a really a good thing this thing has a manual in it. Because if it didn't have a manual in it, I would not be able to last that long because you wouldn't use the, the snowblower the way it was intended to be used. It wouldn't be serviced the way it was intended to be serviced. And when the, this says that the, the Bible is the law of the Lord, what it's saying is this book, folks, is our manual for life. It guides us on how to live. Following this book will teach us how to live successfully, Ignoring this book will end up in us living life painfully. This book tells us sins to avoid. This book tells us the good things to pursue. This good book tells us about the right way to make moral choices. It also tells us the right way to make spiritual choices. I ask you, why would you deny yourself reading this book? When you get a new product, or you get a new lawnmower, Travis, you bring it home. Are you going to read the manual? No! Oh, I'm throwing the book at you. <laughs> at least he's honest. <laughs> well, hopefully, most of us would read the manual. And because we know that the manual is going to tell us things we need to know to operate it successfully. Well, he says here, the law of the Lord is perfect. So the law, it's the manual for life. But it's perfect. What does that mean? It's not perfect. In the, in the, it writes it in the Hebrew. It's not perfect in the sense of being uh, opposed to imperfect, but perfect in the sense of being complete. In other words, the Bible has all we need to know about how to please God in it. It is complete in that sense. The Bible tells us all we need to know about showing us our sin. It tells us all we need to know about how to deal with our sin, that we need to repent of our sin, trust in Jesus to be forgiven of our sin. Everything we need to know about how to live life is in this book. This manual for life is complete. It's not inadequate. When you face a choice in life that you don't know what God wants you to do, this is what you need to realize. To make that choice that you're unsure of, you either need to know more about what this book says or you need to know more about what that choice is. Either by learning more of the Bible or by learning what's really going on in that choice you have to make somewhere, you'll see the Bible and that choice will connect every single time. You just may have to do some research to figure out where it connects and how it applies. Sometimes uh, when people run into trouble, 
and they go through difficulties in their life, what you'll hear them say is, I need a therapist. I need a counselor. I've got difficulties in my marriage. I need to go to marriage therapy and marriage counseling. And by the way, I'm okay with counselors. Counselors are good. I'm all fine with therapists. But I want to tell you, before you run to therapists and counselors, most of the time what we need to run to is this book. When I end up doing marriage counseling with people, 9 out of 10, or maybe more like 95 out of 100 of the problems that I run into, I can just say, oh, you know what you need? Did you ever look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3? Did you ever look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 about the way you're, you're supposed to relate to one another? You go right to this book. 95% of the issues are solved right here. This book is complete. It tells us everything we need to know. This book tells us how to face death. It tells us how to face despair. This book tells us how to face a loss of a child. Everything we need to know is in this text. It's complete. Now that's what the Bible is. It's the law of the Lord. It's the manual for life. It's complete. But what does it do? It says it restores the soul. The soul that it, it's talking about is the nephesh. It really means the inner person. We've already talked about how the Bible is used by God to create spiritual life. We saw that in 1 Peter in the very opening section. But what we also need to understand is it says it restores the soul. It takes a heart that's been battered, that's been broken, and it heals it. It strengthens it. It holds us together. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? And you go to the Bible and God gives you peace. Have you ever felt discouraged? And you go to this word and you can make it through. Ever felt depressed or anxious about the future? And you say, I just need this book because God uses his words to give me peace. Folks, that's me. I have things in my own personal life with my family that, just break my heart. And when I get into those modes, I have to get this book out. God, I need more of your word, not less. When we as a church entered into this pandemic and attendance plummeted and finances went down the tubes for a period of time, you know, it's like, where do you go? It's like, God, give me more of your word. I've got there's 10 staff running around here. I've got salaries. There's families. I'm concerned. God, carry us through. I need your word. Your word is what takes and heals the anxious heart. That's what he does in this book. Why would you deny yourself of this book? Why would you content yourself in saying, well, I, I just need it once a week, just on Sunday when Pastor Kurt talks about it. That's enough for me. Really? This is the book that heals our broken hearts. How could we not have it all the time in our life. Let's look at the second couplet. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The first statement about uh, what this book is, is that it is God's law, being that it is God's manual for life. The second is that it is God's testimony. It's the way God has revealed himself. So we know who he actually is. 
Earlier in this psalm, we saw that God reveals himself in creation. His power, his majesty, his beauty, his size. The heavens declare the glory of God. But God reveals even more of himself in this book than he does in creation. So the Bible is God's self-disclosure. In the Bible, we learn about the problem is sin. In the Bible, we learn about the answer is Jesus, God's own Son. In the Bible, we learn about where we actually came from. In the Bible, we learn about where we're actually going. Can't find those things by looking at a tree. Can't find those things by looking at a fish. Only found in this book. Outside of creation, the only place that God has chosen to reveal himself is this book. Now, I say that because maybe some of you heard the opening prayer for the 117th Congress this past week. Remember Emmanuel Cleaver? Most of the media spent time focusing on the way he ended his prayer. He ended his prayer by what he called a very gender-inclusive way. Amen and a women. And I only mention this just so you know, um, amen has nothing to do with men. Amen comes from Hebrew. It means truth or may it be in Hebrew. Literally, amen. That's what it means. It was brought over into Greek as amen. It was brought over in English as amen. It's not a racial term. So you don't need to follow it up with a women. But, uh, amen, okay. <laughs> but the other thing I want to mention is what he said right before that, and I put this in there because this is applying to our point. He said this, We ask in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names and many different faiths. According to his prayer, you can know God just about any place. But the truth of what this book says is the only place that you can know God outside of creation itself is this word. Not Brahma, not Allah, just this book. Do you realize that? This book is the truth about God. Now, so obviously, Emmanuel Cleaver entered into the prayer fail blog right here. Um, but I want to just give you an idea of the significance of how God reveals himself in this word. Uh, it comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. But to understand the significance of what Peter's saying, rather than read the verses before it, I need to give you the context. Peter, as you know, we read this in the Gospel of Mark, was with James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. There, Jesus was transfigured. His glory was revealed. Remember, he shone bright as the sun, we learned in the Gospel of Mark. His clothes flashed bright like lightning, it said, when we studied the Gospel of Mark. I mean, that's a pretty awesome spiritual experience. Anybody think that's cool? Yeah, I would like to be there, man. If I was there, that would be really pretty something significant. But look what Peter says about the book that we hold in our hands in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. 
Peter says, I had the ultimate in spiritual experiences, but we have something better. We have a disclosure of God that is even more full than the transfiguration itself. We have the word of God, which is more fully confirmed. So you better do a good job, he says, of paying attention to it. That is what we hold in our hands. Something more revealing of God and his character and his nature than the transfiguration itself. So, that's what it means when it says this book is God's testimony of who he is. It really reveals him as he is. It's the only place you can go to find it. What are the results of this word? It makes, it says, the simple people wise. Now, what does that mean, to make a simple person wise? Uh, In Hebrew, a simple person is literally described as someone who is an open door. Somebody who lets just about anything into their life, and they have no ability to shut the door and keep harmful things out of their life. Proverbs calls this person a fool. In Latin, the person is called an ignoramus. So you learned a little Latin today. Same thing. People who say, well, I try to keep an open mind to anything. I try to experience everything at just least just once. Those are called simple people. Those are called foolish people. I ask you, do you have a door in the front of your house? You have a door so you can close it so everybody doesn't come in. Do you have a lock on that door? Does everybody but Travis lock their door at night? Yes, we lock our door at night because we don't want just anybody walking in our house being around our wife and children. We have a need to protect them because we're trying to be wise people. And what happens is many times people start out, they're simple people, they let every single thing into their life and it starts to destroy their life. We have a shut door on our house But shouldn't we have a shut door on many of the movies that are out there? Not let them into our life? Shouldn't we have a shut door when it comes to a lot of the things that are on the internet right now? Not let it into our life? All that stuff is intended to rot our brains from the inside out. Simple people let it all in. Wise people say, no, this is not something I want into my heart and into my world. I shut that door. This word, it takes simple people and makes them wise. It teaches you what to shut the door to. So you don't let stuff into your head and into your heart that'll ruin your life. You want to be successful in this world? Sometimes you say, well, if I just had a college degree, I'd be successful. Or maybe if I just had the right psychology class, I would be successful. I'm going to tell you, you want to be successful? It's this book. This book is what makes you a success. Better than a college education. Psalm 119, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. The fool is the one who says, I just need less of this book. The fool is the one who says, I can just be content by studying this book on on the weekends when I go to church. Oh, that's that's enough for me. I'm wise enough as it is. No. 
this book and time in this book will make a simple person wise and make a wise person wiser. How could we not want to be in this text? The next thing we learn is this. The precepts of the Lord are right. They bring joy to the heart. Now, we've seen God's word is a law, which is a manual. It tells us the way life should work. We've seen God's word as a testimony. It tells us God as he really is. It's the true revelation of his nature, even better than the transfiguration. Here we see that God's word is also to be seen as precepts. Precepts are principles, principles for how to live wisely. His word gives us right principles for living. Now, this is not right principles as opposed to wrong principles, but in the Hebrew, it's actually talking about right principles to get you on the right path for life. Principles to get you living the right way, making the right choices, getting us on the right path. The way I can connect this to you is, um, how many of you have ever used Google Maps on your phone? I hope everybody, okay. This ever happened to you that you went on a long drive with Google Maps and you forgot your charging cord? And about halfway on the trip, you realize that your phone is going to die, and then it does die, and now you're somewhere in the middle of Minnesota, and you don't know which way to go. You don't know if you go forward. You don't know if you go backwards. You are lost. You have no guidance system. Well, that's what a lot of people are like in life. I'm going to go 60 miles an hour. It doesn't matter if you're going 60 miles an hour or 10 miles an hour. If you're not going the right direction, you're not going anywhere. The Bible is like Google Maps. Whether you're going 10 miles an hour or whether you're going on 60 miles an hour, this book is what gets you on the right path for life. You're trying to live life without this book? You have no idea where you're going. You're going to be maybe going 60 miles an hour, but you're going 60 miles an hour to no place, which is why we need this book. It gives us the right principles to give us on the right path. Well, that's what the book is, but what does it say this book does? It says this book brings us joy. God's word rejoices our heart. Anybody here want more joy in their life right now? Anybody else need some spiritual Prozac? I'm all there, yeah. The more you read this book, the more joy you will have in your life. Look what the scripture says. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. We are writing these words that our joy may be complete. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your words were found, I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the very delight of my heart. Where do we find joy and satisfaction? Why would you deny yourself reading this book if this book is the source of joy and happiness in your life? Are you an angry person? Read the Word of God. Are you a complaining person? Read the Word of God. Are you a miserable person? Read the Word of God. I would rather be who I am holding this Word than to be Elon Musk without this Word. 
this word will bring you more joy than owning Tesla. That's the truth. We have this book, the source of joy in our life. In the way, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Remember that Tesla one? Right there. Your testimonies are my heritage, for they are the joy of my heart. Why would we deny ourselves this book? Why would we content ourselves in this book just once a week? That's enough for me. I don't need any more joy in my life. No. This book is what gives us the smile we need for our day. The fourth one. The commandments of the Lord is pure. It makes tough choices clear. Literally, the verse on that is, the commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. We've seen that God's word is described as law. It is a manual for how to live. It's been described as a testimony. It's the way God reveals himself. God's word has been described as precepts. It gives us principles for how to live rightly, get on the right path. It's our guidance system. But here we see um, that the Bible is also described as giving commandments. And if you are somebody, like most people in the modern world, who struggle with authority, this is where you're going to have a difficult time. Because you don't like when anybody gives you commandments. Uh, most people are that way today. But the Bible sometimes doesn't just give us principles for living. It gives us commandments for living that are not negotiable, that need to be obeyed. And it says that the commandments that God gives are pure. Well, what does that mean? The word pure is, literally means clear. The way to think about this is like a glass of water. Or maybe a, you have a glass of water. If it's a clear glass of water, you can see what's in the glass. Say you have a fish in the glass. You can find the fish in a clear glass of water. But if you have a dirty glass of water with algae inside of it and all kinds, it's been a fish that's been overfed and it's all cloudy, you don't even know if you have a fish in the glass. It's unclear. But what it says is God's word, when it gives us commandments, those commandments are not fuzzy. Those commandments are not hard to understand. Those commandments that God gives us are very clear. They're just hard to obey. They're not hard to understand. An example with that. Um, the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not lie. That's pretty clear. But you know how it goes. Well, the guy stayed he, on the way home. Somebody invited him over to the bar. He went to the bar with some guys after work. He came home late. Wife comes and says, why did you get home so late today? He says, well, I shouldn't tell her I was at the bar, so I'll just tell a little white lie and just say I worked late at the office. It's not a big deal. It's just a white lie. But God's word is clear. Do not lie. A white lie, black lie, gray lie, it doesn't matter. Do not lie. Tell the truth. You want to go from the ninth commandment, why don't we go and try the seventh commandment? Do not commit adultery. That's pretty clear, not hard to understand. By the way, that means no sex outside of a marriage relationship. Not just post-marital sexuality, but premarital sexuality. But you know how it goes. 
somebody says, well, I've been dating my girlfriend for two years, and well, everybody's doing it, so surely it would be right right now. But God's commandments are clear. Do not commit adultery. No sex outside of marriage. End of discussion. Not hard to understand. Might be hard to obey, but it's pretty clear. Somebody asked Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You get these two right, pretty much everything else falls into place. Not hard to understand. It's pretty clear. Might be hard to obey. So, God's commandments are clear. But what does it do? That's the result. It enlightens the eye. What does that mean that God's word does? You ever try to find something in a dark room? How hard it is to find something? Like this morning, Shane, I'm trying to put my reach bracelet on. And, you know, you have to keep the lights out because the wife is still in bed. I'm getting ready to come over here, and I don't want to turn the lights on. But I'm trying to find a black bracelet in a black room. I knew I could have got some extra ones over there. I've done that already once or twice. So, so I'm trying to find the black bracelet in the black room. Where do I go to find it? and I'm groping around trying to find my reach bracelet until I turned the lights on. Found the bracelet immediately, and of course, Cindy also woke up right away. But the lights make things clear. That's what God's Word is. Many times we're going through life not too sure what is the right thing to do. What kind of choices should I make? Go into this Word. God's commandments make tough choices easy. They turn the lights on in our world, and they make fuzzy choices clear. You want to drive this home? Guys, next time you want to go find a tool in the garage, I challenge you to do it with the lights off. See if you can find that tool, and then have someone turn the lights on and how quickly you see that tool. The same thing with God's Word. Tough choice. Can't make it. Can't figure out the right way. Turn God's word on, and you'll be able to understand. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Now it says, the fear of the Lord is, oops, can't get that down. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. Now what is that talking about? Fear of the Lord the idea of fear here is not phobic fear. It is reverence fear. This is talking about worship of God. The Bible is a manual for us, teaching us how to worship God and how to properly reverence God in our lives. Look at some of the things it says about worship. Psalm 98, verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and pr sing praises. Guess what? We worship by singing. That's why we like to sing at Crosswinds, right? Important to us. It also says this. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I mean, you've got a rock band in here. You've got a pipe organ in here. You've got everything. Praising the Lord. The Bible tells us the right way to worship. And it says... 
It tells us the right way to worship that is clean, that is morally pure. And that may not be significant to you until you put yourself in the ancient context. Think about Israel's neighbors. Some of Israel's neighbors worshipped Moloch. You know how you worship Moloch? You were to take your children and throw them into the fire as part of worship. That's not clean. That's not good. God says, don't you ever try to worship me that way. This book will tell you the clean and pure and right way to worship me. Go from the Old Testament times to the New Testament times. Go to the Roman gods. One of the Roman gods was Bacchus. He was the god of wine. Imagine what worship was like for him. Get trashed. And then go to the temple prostitutes and finish up your worship there. Not pure, not clean, not good. This book teaches us pure, clean, good worship of God. And it says, by the way, what's the result of this word? It endures forever. You know what that means? That this book, and when it teaches us how to worship and how to know God and love God, it's relevant forever. It's always, it's timeless. No matter what culture you go, this book is relevant. No matter what time in life you go, this book is relevant. It doesn't matter if you're teaching kids in Awana, or it doesn't matter if you're teaching older people in the retired person's class. This book is always relevant. God has written it so it's timeless and teaches us the right way to worship. So I ask you, why would you content yourself with maybe just putting your finger in the text one day a week on Sunday. It's going to teach you what is good and pure and true. The next thing it says is this. The rules of the Lord are true. They are fair and right. And it comes out of this verse. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And I'm going to go through this one rather quickly. But some of you may notice the, there's a footnote on the word rules. Some of you may have translations under that that says the word judgments. Because this Hebrew word, rules, could be also translated as judgments. So what it says is the book, this Bible, tells us the truth about God's judgments. How history will end, it's telling us the truth. That those apart from Christ will be judged by Christ. It's telling us the truth. That there's such a thing as the lake of fire, and all who do not know him will go there. This book is telling us the truth. And for those who do love Christ, and who have been forgiven by Christ, there is a judgment for us too, but it's not a judgment of condemnation, because our sins are forgiven by Jesus. It's a judgment of rewards for how we have lived for Jesus. This book is telling us the truth. It's righteous altogether. Why would we not want to read this book? Why would we content ourselves with maybe just touching it one day a week, when this is the only place we're going to find the truth about the way the world will end and about how we will be held accountable by God when the world does end. I'm going to go through this rather quickly. The Word of God is our greatest possession and our greatest pleasure. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey are the drippings of the honeycomb. This word... 
book is worth more than fine gold. It's our greatest possession. This book is sweeter and more pleasurable than honey. And by the way, honey was the sweetest thing they had. No chocolate at that time. It hadn't been invented yet, just so you ladies know. That's how they did that. Um, the greatest pleasure is this book itself. Why would we deny ourselves of this greatest pleasure? The Word of God keeps us also away from disaster and leads us to eternal reward. Moreover, by them, that is the words of God, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This book is filled with signs, warning signs. Bridge out ahead. Do not keep driving. Oh, I don't want to read that sign. Maybe once a week I'll glance at it. <laughs> Not a good idea. What this book also has is it leads us into great reward. Let me just recall for you the benefits of this book. This benefits of this book, when we read it, it brings life to dead hearts. This book revives weary and distressed hearts. This book makes simple people wise. This book brings joy to hearts. This book takes the tough questions of life and makes them clear like turning a light on in a room. This book is always relevant. It endures forever. This book is our greatest possession, greater than gold. This book is our greatest pleasure, sweeter than honey. This book, why would we content ourselves? with just reading it once a week. So here's my challenge for you. Will you join your church family in reading the book of Proverbs for the next three weeks? I put in your handouts a little card so you can take a little check off. I'm just asking for a three-week commitment. Reading the Bible, two chapters a day for five days a week. That gives you Saturday and Sunday to catch up when you fall behind because you know what? You will because I do. Here's what I want you to do when you read Proverbs. I want you to also highlight whatever sticks out to you as you're reading it. And I also want you to take a notebook and write down just two sentences, maybe three, of what stuck out to you in the chapter you read. By the way, on Wednesdays, Pastor Jordan and I are going to be doing this. The video will always be less than 10 minutes. Jordan will take one chapter, he'll read it, and tell you what stuck out to him. I'll take the other chapter, and I'll read it, and tell, it what's, tell you what stuck out to, to me. Um, it'll be out on Facebook at 7 a.m. Wednesday mornings. It'll also be emailed to you at 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning. If that's helpful to you, to know how we are reading Proverbs with you, and what God is saying to us through that, I pray that is an encouragement. Now, as you go and get ready to go, I would like to, um, as I close is a better way to put it, I'd like you to make a commitment and, and use the commitment card. We have in your bulletin a little prayer response card. On the back is a place to write pr prayer requests. If you are going to commit to reading through Proverbs, take in that prayer request section, just write Proverbs, and then put your name and your email address in the front, and leave it in the pews. We'll pick it up later. That's not for me. That is for you. Because when you write that down, most likely you'll keep your word. And if you're somebody who's watching online, you can do that too. Go to our little special website, tinyurl.com slash CWSL Sunday, and go to the little prayer request section. 
fill out your name and then put Proverbs in it as a way of signifying that you're going to make that choice to read Proverbs along with your church family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we are a church of this book. Jesus, that you are the living word, but you have given us the written word. The written word which creates spiritual life. The written word which sustains our spiritual life. The written word that will make simple people wise. That will make depressed people joyful. The written word that is always relevant. The written word that is always our greatest pleasure our greatest possession, and the word that when we read it is like turning on the lights in a room that makes tough questions clear. This year, as we make little challenges for just 10 minutes a day to go through one book of the Bible at a time, I pray that you would use your word to change us and mature us into men and women that are more like Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.